Welcome back to another episode of the Koi's Are Us podcast. This is episode 40. I've got Ben and Kim with me. How's it going? Doing well, thanks. Yourself? Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, another <laughs> another weekend um, in Spurs land. Coping. Yeah. yeah, coping, right? That's what it is. We played Villa away. On Saturday, Aston Villa 2, Tottenham Hotspur 1. Didn't get a goal till the last minute, I believe, of reg- of uh, regular time when there was a penalty that, that gave us kind of a little bit of a consolation goal that maybe we did or didn't actually deserve. The The win felt, uh, or the loss, I should say, felt deserved. Uh, there was not really much to do about the game. I was... Watching the game, I actually finally went back to the pub, which I haven't done in a while because <laughs> I just I've just had other things going on. But sitting there watching a game, probably 50, 60 minutes in. And I turned to my friend Danielle sitting next to me and I'm kind of like, what is what do you think is even the story of this game? Because it feels like nothing's actually <laughs> happened. I mean, Kim, what can you even take away from that match on Saturday? Just that Aston Villa created an offside drive and we couldn't beat it <laughs> that's basically the game yeah <laughs> on the off- yeah. offensive side and then um defensively it felt like the two times two two times that Romero went and rash for tackles he got done and then left us you know lacking on the inside and attackers just drifted into space that defenders who don't normally cover def- attackers in space like that like the first one i think was pedro portal trying to like stand up um what's his face uh jacob ramsey i think his name's jacob i don't know mm-hmm. ramsey one of the one yeah. of the ramsey bros that play for villa um and then the the second one was oh so he went in for a tackle and it was a free kick and then obviously it, i guess it was considered was that considered an own goal um I don't think so. That's a attempted save for me. But um, either way, you know, that's a that's a save that you probably wanted to make. Yeah. Um. But like when it's all said and done, like the free kick doesn't happen if Romero doesn't slide in and you know do some dumb stuff. So to me, that was like it's just a continuation of you know, last year it felt like what Romero was to the team was very helpful. And it feels like more often than not this year, the stuff that he's done has been like a detriment to the team. And I, and that's probably made more apparent when the other defenders aren't great around him, because then everything he does really also continues to stand out even more. But if there was stability next to him, that his little things probably wouldn't bother us as much because it's like all right the rest of the defense is stable like we we're not relying on him in the same way that i'm planning a back four for for me this year do you think do you think that do you think him planning a back four and not having you know two center backs near him is 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 having an impact on that too i just feel like he doesn't have quite as much stability I, i mean i guess royal's kind of playing almost as a he's playing as a center back really like you're not seeing him make those he's made a few forward runs but 
the time that like Royale has been forward is when like much of the other team is also going forward and it's not just been him making those runs. It's like Poro Romero has taken makes up those the runs right more than Royale does. <laughs> That's true. That well, I wonder true. if this is I wonder if this is what we'd see if we saw Romero in the center of a back three, because I know some people have asked about that, but that's where you want the guy to, to, to not make rash challenges like that. Um, I wonder if he was given slightly more leeway to do that in the back three. I mean, I, I, I didn't analyze anything, just just spitballing here. But um, just just curious if um, it does seem like he's been more rash overall this year. But I wonder if that's even more um, exaggerated or exacerbated in him playing in this kind of formation. Well, you, you saw the game on Saturday. What was your takeaway? What were your thoughts as you were watching or anything that came to your mind as you as the game ended? I mean, it was kind of what you guys were saying. It was, yeah. it, was, it was very much similar to how we are playing earlier this season. Really got beat down in the first half. Uh, didn't look all at sea in the first half. Looked better in the second half. But that's, again, is that Villa taking their gas, their foot off the gas? Is that them tiring up a little bit? Uh, like Timmy was saying, man, we just could not beat that trap until the second to last play of the game or whatever that was when we when we drew the, the penalty. Um Stun and Richarlison were just offsides constantly. Like how many offsides flags were there on those two, especially Richarlison, but Sun, same thing. And he, th- neither of them could put the ball in the back of the net to that last one by Sun too. There was just, mm-hmm. it, it, I'm not even sure if it would have been more frustrating if they hadn't been offsides for most of those calls. Cause they're a bunch of missed chances if, if that had been the case, but yeah, the, the, the high line uh, that, that played by Villa seemed to completely baffle us or just screw up our timing. And I'm a little surprised by that. I thought that would be something that Sun would be able to take advantage of. Uh, you know, that Sun to Kane combo yeah. would have do. But but um, I guess that's what Emery has done for that team is just provided them some stability. And he's empowered his players to to feel confident. You could tell playing that like game. like he was playing with confident. fire a little bit there, though. Like he got he potentially I mean, got a little bit lucky, but maybe they just have excellent timing or uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, but. honestly, we were we were offsides a lot. And the thing is, is that when you're offside that much is the team has worked on that kind yeah. of thing. Like yeah. when you look at it and that's probably Mason probably thought we had the guys who could beat the offside trap. So that's why they were trying to do it so much. But honestly, I just felt like Villa, they they sort of did what they wanted to do in the game. And I saw like the way they moved the ball, um, the way that they had players running into space. Like they just kind of when when it was like game time, they they controlled it. And the the only thing that tripped them up was, you know, Harry Kane got to the ball first and Amy Martinez put a hand on him and he got a penalty. But if that didn't happen, we'd we'd be we'd have lost 2-0. <laughs> it's interesting seeing Spurs and Villa play out a kind of nothing kind of game. Uh, the two teams kind of canceled each other out in some respects. You could say, obviously, Villa's game plan worked and they scored the goals. So it wasn't completely even, but it's funny looking at the standings now. We have the exact same record 17 wins, six draws, and 13 losses. We're tied on points with the exact same amount of games played. And it seems like Villa started the season kind of in the same way that we're ending it. We won a lot of games, deserved or otherwise, at the beginning of the, of the season. I think that's been the majority of the 17 games that we've won, probably came in the first three or four months. Villa's on the other end of things where they weren't playing very well to start the season, and then they went on like a seven or eight game unbeaten run to kind of get them to where they are now. 
And so now with the last two matches left of the season, <clears throat> we only have a two goal difference advantage on Villa. So the next two games will pretty much decide who gets European football. Brentford is four points behind on 53. Villa and Spurs are both at 57. So I don't think Brentford's going to be able to catch us, but again, that is actually our next match. So, um, you know, if we're if we're not able to get a result from that match and Villa is able to win their next game, um, then that could change things. Of course, Villa's next game is Liverpool, so that's going to be a tough one for them. If Brentford's able to take points off of Spurs and then Villa loses to Liverpool, then Brentford's right back in it. And then it'll be three teams fighting essentially for seventh place. So it's I guess it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. It's. It's not that interesting. It felt like we were. You talk yourself into it. Make these last two games exciting, right? Uh, I don't know how exciting they're going to be because the the, well, the funny thing, <laughs> the past the two games things, we've, we've played haven't been exciting. So what? Well, there's not exactly a consensus. I don't think among Spurs fans whether or not we'd actually like to be in the Europa Conference League. Like I still am a little yeah. torn. I think we should talk about that a little bit because I've been going back and forth myself. So I'd be interested to know what you guys think about it. I think overall that i lean into i would rather be in europe than not i understand the idea of having fewer games and having uh more time to coach the team but i also like the idea of having extra games if we get a manager that will actually play the youth in those games especially the earlier stages i think that could be good for them it's good for us to have still a little bit of european exposure extra money that comes along with it i could i could pretty easily i think be convinced of it being to our benefit to not get into the champion or to the uh the conference league but i, th- I think i'm like 51 49 um i, I ra- would rather be in at this point but it's just hanging by a thread there yeah I'd, i mean i'd say about the same um and for very similar reasons like if we have a manager that's going to play young players and we'll give young players the opportunity to play in those competitions then i think it'd be good to be in it but every manager we've had has literally played the old guys consistently. So I can't really look at that competition with any, like with any thought that they're going to do anything different until it happens, you know, we'll see. But like, as it's been for the last three or four years, we, we don't really play young players in the early stages of the FA cup. We don't do it in the EFL trophy. We didn't do it when we were in the conference league. So um, I just don't see it happening going forward. But again, that's something that will be determined on the manager we get and sort of what the philosophy is. Um, so for now, I'd rather just I I probably lean to not being in it um, to give the manager time to work with the team, because with the conference league, I think you have to play um, I think with the conference league. You actually have to play earlier. So I remember when we were in the conference league, we were playing qualification matches to start and that stuff started like basically as soon as the season started so yeah i i feel like if we're that was when get, jose you know, was complaining about having like three games yeah, in a week. yeah. Mm-hmm. very early in the season so my thing is if you're getting a new manager so it's not even somebody that's been here i think the beginning of the season building a foundation is probably more important than playing a few games in europe yeah, I feel like uh, maybe three or four weeks ago, thinking about Conference League, I was kind of just like, this competition is garbage. It 
it doesn't add any value to our club. Um, it's a whole bunch of extra fixtures and extra travel that's going to basically just serve as one big distraction. And I was kind of just done with it. I was saying like, I'd rather us finish sixth or finish eighth. Um, I was listening to rule the roost and he was talking about this exact conversation and he kind of changed my mind a little bit because then he was talking about the idea that like, it's one thing to focus on the Prem League when you feel like you have the pieces to be able to actually win it, <laughs> but we don't. So us having that extra time to focus on fixtures for a competition that we're not in a position to win doesn't really add any value anyway, We, as opposed to being in a competition that we actually could win. We have a much better chance of actually winning the Conference League than we do the Prem. And I was like, hmm, that's actually a really good point. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of on the fence now. I mean, I do feel like there are extra games to watch from a fan's perspective that's fun, not having to wait seven days to see the team play. Um, I think there's obviously some financial advantages in order to just be able to get some extra money in. Maybe that's money that we could spend on transfers. On the other end of it, I do feel like kind of what you guys were saying like this might not necessarily end up being a bonus to us if we end up you know not rotating players and or not taking it seriously enough and then end up getting knocked out early anyway i don't if know we don't I'm rotate gonna... players then i don't want to be in it <laughs> end of quite end of discussion for me if we're not going to rotate there's no reason to be in the competition to have our starters just traipsing around all of Eastern Europe, you know, and playing like some of the, the smallest teams in Europe. Like I remember when it was like this with the, with the uh, Europa league, even, and people were a little torn on it. I can see the benefit of this, but I see very little value if we're not going to rotate at all. I could see value in, in, in them using this as almost like um, more heavily simul simulated practices in some ways. I, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to demean the competition that much, but either playing your youth or using the time against other opposition to figure out strategies, to figure out uh, different yeah. formations, different things you can use. Yeah. Tactics. Well, I also don't agree with the idea that like our inability or straight up refusal to rotate is like a club decision, right? Like I think a lot of that had to do with the managers that we hired, namely your Jose's and your Conte's. I do think, if we hire the type of profile of manager that we need to hire, which we've talked about many times on this pod in terms of having someone who's forward thinking, someone who's a project man, I think that profile of a manager would approach the conference league differently than Jose Mourinho did. Yeah, and in that instance, I like, I don't know that that's a legitimate concern for us to have in terms of rotation, because I don't think that's like something that was coming down from the top. I think that was just, based on the manager that we hired, which we can now look back on and say, we don't want to do that again anyway. I think if we get in, it's probably better than not getting in just for the simple fact of it gives us an opportunity to have some joy. Like <laughs> just looking at the way that we're playing right now and looking or at despair, the way- one of the two. <laughs> sure, but at least like there are probably more winnable games on Thursdays than there will be on weekends, especially looking yeah. at the way that the league is now. I mean, I watched that Brighton game against Arsenal yesterday and I'm like, this team looks like one of the best teams in England. Like Brighton looked 
really good. Um, that might have been their best performance all season, granted, but at least it was against Arsenal. Um, oh yeah, at Arsenal too, right? I that's know. that's a that's a game that they're playing on the road against a team that's been top of the league for a majority of the year, and they bossed the game. And then you look at what Newcastle's doing, and then it just feels like even Villa just kind of beating us pretty handily. And it's like, man, it's gonna be a dogfight next year because all of these teams are gonna bet in even more teams are going to spend more money. And I just feel like our nice little run of just getting to the champions league um, over and over. Okay. If we miss it, we finish fifth and we go to Europa league, but then we go back to the champions league the following year. Like we kind of have been spoiled maybe for the past five or six years. And I think after this season of being in the champions league, like, I don't know when's the next time we'll be back there. And well, that's where we've talked it about could be the, a lot of miserable times up ahead on Saturdays and Sundays. And so, like, if the conference league affords us an opportunity to win some games and I don't know, like that couldn't be that might not be the worst thing in the world. Well, that's where we talked about some of the, over the past few weeks or months is that Spurs have been not only have we been going backwards, but other clubs have been have been making a move, you know, in an upward trajectory. So us. Even if we'd just been stagnant, I feel like we would have had some teams overlap us at this point. But it seems like we're not only being stagnant, we're going backwards in terms of our evolution as a club. And you can see it now this this past week has been, I guess I shouldn't say you can see it now, but it's it's been more evidence of our intransigence that we're, we're dragging our feet about hiring a director of football, that we're already ruling out coaches before, um, you know, that, I mean, who knows what's actually going on back then? I, I have a hard time. It's it's hard to trust Levy at this point with these kind of decisions. Yeah. I know we'll we'll talk more about this, but I almost want to just stick my head in the sand and ignore all reporting on all coaching and director of football until it's more solid. Just because I I I see nothing except for um, you know anxiety basically when we're talking about those kinds of things. Just because faith uh, our faith in Levy is just so low right now in terms of making the right decision on that kind of of uh, of of decision and. Um, like like you're saying, having Brighton leapfrog us, Villa, Brentford looking good. Hell, I mean, Newcastle. It's just it's it looks bleak in terms of our ability to to be in a big six, let alone <laughs> you know a top four next year, um, unless something really turns around. At this point, I feel like it's going to be Mason. Like it, this, it just feels like one of those situations where we're sitting on our hands, letting all the other coaches that fans and journalists think we're going to look at pass us by. They're either going to sign with other teams and then two months is going to pass by. And then we're going to announce that Ryan Mason's the permanent coach like that. I just feel like that is the inevitable trajectory of where this is going. And I know that just because I'm not hearing rumors about interviewing people doesn't necessarily mean that we aren't. However, it is a little concerning considering we're now at, I think, 40 days since Conte's been gone. And looking at the way that other teams have done things, <laughs> like other teams have fired coaches and then hired new ones. Like we haven't done that. And still, it does feel <clears throat> very reminiscent of two years ago when Jose got fired and then it took us 72 days to hire the next man. So are you more worried about record, the? manager or director of football at this point 
Because I, I just that to me, I think you need to have a director of football if you want to do things the right way. You want to have a director of football that, if not makes the decision, is not the main decision maker. At least it's a huge piece of the decision in terms of who you bring in as a manager. That's why I find the Nagelsmann news uh, a little baffling. Is I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's because he wasn't willing to work with the director of football or the people on his list of like he wanted to have the chicken and egg reverse, like he wanted to pick the director of football that he would become manager under. I can't, I, otherwise to me, it's baffling that you would make that decision at this point when apparently we haven't made a decision on director of football. Why would we already be closing doors to, you know, top managers? Well, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like he wanted to have a say in who the director of football was. And if you're drawing the lines between the fact that he wanted say and us saying that we're not no longer considering him or not considering him at all i mean the the fair assumption is that we weren't willing to give him the leverage that he wanted and as a result the talks just kind of ended before they started i think the manager is important in terms of like what we're seeing week in and week out the type of football that we play the director of football obviously is important in terms of the the caliber of player that we get to do it so they're both important. It's one is that they agree is the main thing, right? They need to agree on style of play and style of players needed to fit that play. And if we're talking about culture, then the mindset, I suppose, like there would be a lot going into that. And I think, I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to have any kind of expertise on the, um, you know, the, the way that that should be structured. But I, it, to me, it sounds at least it makes sense that, you, that if you were going to have interest in a manager that they would have some say in the director of football, but I still would think that overall you'd want to have it be the other way around where the director of football would be the first one. I guess that's what I think about because the director of football to me is like the most, should be the head decision maker for football decisions, not the manager. So the director of of football, and if you decide to have a director of football, the director of football and the manager should work together. There should be some cohesiveness, but it should still be the director of football that's that's like in charge of making the decisions because when it comes to recruiting decisions, that's the person that's going to lose their job strictly on recruiting decisions. I mean, coaching decisions, you know, all that stuff goes together. But I, I don't think a, a manager should be choosing a director of football. And I also think like it's important. I, I have a feeling what Daniel Levy didn't want to do was give Nagelsmann that much leverage over the club because when Nagelsmann left, what would he take his director of football with him? So like you could end up in the situation where you're now trying to like for, if for whatever reason you could find yourself in a situation where you no longer have both of those positions again, because you went in with sort of like a tag team deal. Uh, so I don't know. I, I can see the, the reasons as to why Dana leave you. I mean, I wouldn't have announced it. And I probably would have hired a director of football and went back to Nagelsmann and been like, all right, this is what we're willing to offer. So I would have kept my, you know, my, my cards close to my chest, but um, yeah, I can't say why he did that. To me, that's the most baffling thing. It's, it's not that you didn't want to hire him, but like <coughs> keep that under wraps until you hire somebody. Yes. Yeah. See, I think that that's indicative. And this is what I said earlier. Uh, I, I think you're exactly right. And I think that's indicative of either Nagelsmann not wanting to, be with the director of football at all or having his own shortlist and Spurs not liking any of them. Cause if that's not the case, the only other thing I can think of is that Nagelsmann actually basically said he wasn't interested in them and Spurs are just trying to save face. I don't I don't see any other good explanation for it. 
Um, Cause I'm with you, Kim, like it, pick your director of football and then go back to Nagelsmann and say, Hey, now we have our guy. Would you want to work with him? <laughs> you know, or would this work? Who knows? Maybe, like, I, I, like I said, I, it had, it has to mean that there was some um, kind of, you know, fundamental disagreement between Spurs and Nagelsmann or between Levy and, and Nagelsmann. Otherwise it doesn't make so, sense for them to announce. I honestly feel like Nagelsmann went into this with his previous experience of not having a good relationship with his director of football at Bayern. And it's probably like pushing for that. That was probably like one of his, the top thing on his list might've been like, I I'm able to do this. And Spurs were like, nah, we're not going to do that. So it sort of like fell apart from there. Like I could see that being something very, very important to him as a manager in his next job is, you know, the, the good working relationship with the director of football. Um, I still feel like that could still happen, even if it's not the guy that Nagelsmann has on his list. Like I, I, that's where I think like the club should be making the decision on their director of football. The manager should be the manager. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Also, I think you made a good point about decoupling the, uh, the director of football from the manager. I, I think that, yes, you want them to be able to work together, but you don't want them to be um to the point where if if there's any animosity between either of them and the club that it becomes those two against the club which I felt like could have even happened with Paratici and and Conte even though they were brought in at different times and that's not the way it transpired at least seemingly but that's because things were way more fucked up than even that but I don't think you want it to be where if your head coach is alienated that alienates your director of football and vice versa like I think you want to have those be independent uh, pieces of each other to make the make things flow in a way that's going to make things uh, again replaceable. To your point, you don't want to be in this exact same scenario in a year or two. So it's going to be Mason, right? <laughs> I, I I'm kind of worried. You're right about that, but I still think I think that would be bad for him and the club. I mean, who knows? It could turn out to be a fairy tale, but I just he hasn't had enough experience. I feel like that would be unfair to both him, and it would be unfair to a lot of supporters that have been wanting to have. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that because we, we we want somebody that's young, that's excited to be there, that is or, or more more so than young. It's focused on playing young players and developing players, but then also is not so uh, stuck to their style. That was the problem, I think, with both Mourinho and Conte for a lot of mm-hmm. Spurs fans. They were too wedded to their style. They just they were not willing to try anything new. They're kind of dinosaurs. They were obviously were very good at what they did for a very long time, and maybe they still even are in Syria or different leagues that are different. But I don't. I think you're going to have a hard time being uh, a bit of a tactical relic in the Premier League <laughs> the way it is now. Well, doesn't Mason fit that bill? Then he's he's, he he's not them. It's it's too small of a sample size to know, though. He's been in charge of Spurs for what, like nine games over the span of two years or something, and he's been okay at them. It's looked better than Conte, but I don't think we have nearly enough to go on uh, unless you're just saying vibes, basically. <laughs> you know, like kind of. Like the idea of Mason certainly doesn't excite me. I don't love it, but I don't hate it either. And I think the reason I don't hate it is because I think a lot of my hesitation towards Mason is the fact that it isn't very exciting. <laughs> but when I think about what I want from the next manager in terms of be better than what you were saying, right? Like say that. having creative ideas, someone who's not stuck in their way, someone who actually wants to be Spurs manager someone who cares about the well-being of the club, someone who's not going to throw the organization under the bus when things go wrong, someone that's going to try to 
actually put their energy into riling up the players and getting them excited about playing football. Like a lot of the things that I've said, I want in the, in the next manager, they aren't things that I can look at Mason and be like, he's, he's not that like, he is a lot of those things actually. And the only thing about him, I think that probably rubs me the wrong way is the fact that he's already been there and he's, he's not like an exciting new figure. And, and like, you know, at the end of the day, he might be exactly what we need because he doesn't come with all of the baggage of the experienced guy who's going to come and save the club. If anything, he's going to be undervalued and maybe that might work in his favor. So I think he might swing far too far back on the other side of that pendulum, though. I would love it if he had, you know, the Vincent company one year of, of experience in the championship or the league one or league two, just more of a track record. I just don't see how right now we're judging him basically, like I said, just on the perception of what it is. Rather, We haven't even had enough time to see his tactics take place. We've never seen him develop any players. We've never seen him face. Uh, I should that's, say that's probably that's going to be the case with mostly anybody we hire anyway. I, right, I mean, like, but you would just hope that that guy has more than like 10 managerial games under his belt at yeah, that point. Yeah, And I like, I, okay, so this is what I would say. I get that it's not exciting to have Mason. It would be extremely exciting. The idea of Mason being uh, successful at Spurs would be awesome. Like, that's a fairy tale. But I just feel like that's um, that's so far in the future. I mean, who knows? It could happen. But I just would want a little bit more uh, of a sample size of what kind of manager he actually is before before having an what our sixth manager, how how many managers in the last three years or whatever it's been? I mean, well, what they could do is just keep him as interim for the entire of next year, and then you get your sample size. <laughs> there you and, go. Then they, and then they appoint him for for twenty four twenty five. I think he's getting like the franchise tag on Mason. He gets yeah. the one year. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, my thing about Mason is like he's still got friends on this team, like. He got players he played with that play on this team that were his friends. I don't think he could be our full-time manager. He's a little too close to it, in my opinion. Well, he benched Dyer, so I mean, the, the only other Dyer's guys he injured. played with are... Apparently Dyer's injured, so... Well, he benched him last know. week. That's true. That's true. That was a serious so, I mean, he, 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 ben- he benched him quicker he than Conte t- did. tough. <laughs> He benched him quicker than Conte did. He didn't. He didn't bench him the whole time. He didn't bench him. He didn't bench Hugo though, until he got injured. Quote unquote. I feel like there's a lot of injuries yeah, around I, guys that yeah, should have been, been benched months ago. I don't know how many. Um, to be fair, I, I don't know how many managers that would have benched Hugo. Uh, right that or wrong, I just don't think most managers would have done that, especially with him being the captain. Decision. Like yeah, it's, that's, a, it's, that's a tough it, thing to it do. It would have been a very bold move to be like, oh, you're back from injury. Good. We're staying with Fraser. Like <laughs> I I would have been behind the decision. Don't get me wrong. I think that Hugo should have continued to sit on the bench, but I just don't think most managers would have done that, um, especially with him being the captain of the team. Like, you know, yeah, that, that sounds like a message that you'll throw. Like you'll just alienate anyone if you're willing to do that to the captain. I feel like. Yeah, so and it's I not mean, like we it's it like to me if we had like an amazing goalkeeper off the bench and like there were clean sheets everywhere and like he was pinging balls all over the place and then Hugo came back you'd be like all right cool like you might have to stay on the bench like this kind of stuff wasn't wasn't happening while you were there but Fraser was decent not amazing so like but again that goes to show like we don't have a young goalkeeper on this team 
planning. It's always going to be the problem. So here's a question I, I asked some friends a couple of weeks ago. If you, if you knew that this summer we were only going to make three buys, what positions would you prioritize? Center back. Two center backs and a creative mid. That would, that would be my main three. So you'd, get, go. you'd go for two center backs. Yeah, I think so. Because you want Dyer. Yep. I, we're, so we're, we're losing Longley. You want Dyer out there again? Which is going to be Romero and absolutely like, not Tanganga. Like I don't even know. I, I might go three center backs. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, nah, we do not need me? any any wing backs or fullbacks anymore. Right. We, we definitely don't need any wing backs. So if we can only buy three players, so this is like you're only buying three of them, but you can loan another one. So the positions that I think that matter the most this summer, goalkeeper, one center back. I'd buy one of one of each of these. A goalkeeper, a center back, and a midfielder. One, two, a three. midfielder. Attacking midfielder. So yes, yeah, so an, an attacking. I'd yeah, I'd buy an attacking midfielder. Someone who plays one a center position back. other than the six, basically. Yes. We Imagine have enough that. of those. I feel like between between Basuma and Bentacore, we have enough for six. We're good. We don't need another one. You're probably right. We do need um, to, we need to buy, probably buy a keeper though. <laughs> I think you're probably yeah. To me, that to me, that's like honestly, honestly, that might be the number one thing because your keeper gets better, your defense doesn't have to be as good, and we're not consistently worried about our keeper fumbling the ball into the net. Yeah. The most errors leading to goals this year. He but so th- can't get a ball to players, anyone. So how about our players coming back on loan though, and like so, and coming out of the academy? So Divine's supposed to be potentially a good attacking midfield option. We have Tange, your everybody's favorite Tange, and then oh, the Celso though for real could actually maybe come back in the fold depending on who is there. I, I still doubt. To me, that's Tange. what that's what like a new manager will do. Like especially if we go back to what yeah, reinvigorate think, the players. What we that think is actually going to happen because like even the, all the names that have been rumored have all been pretty young guys that are looking to play attacking football. Like the only person that I think we were rumored with that I was like I don't know about that. Luis Enrique. But other than that, yeah, all the guys have been like on the younger side, like are about development. So I I I do think whoever comes in probably yes, will probably embrace, you know, playing young people. And so during preseason, we'll probably see a bunch of young guys given time. We'll probably see them given time in the early part of the cup competitions. Like I, this is all stuff I hope for with the next manager. But as long as we have that, then I think you know, those three big slots are things that we think of as like really deficient that you don't really see even any young guys in the team that sort of do those things. So like, yeah, we don't have a like a goalkeeper that we could say, all right, I'm going to give you the keys for the whole year. So to me, like that's probably where most of the money should go. Between that and the center back, that should be to me the most important, the most expensive. I things. agree with that, I think. I just I'm curious. I hope you're wrong about our limit of three there, Joel. Well, I'm I'm speculating based on just the fact that we never seem to bring in as many players as we want or need. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we need so much um, and the fact I mean, that we loaned a out a thousand players. They're all going to come back. We're going to have to figure out what to do with them again. So I, I'm I'm trying to think like. 
if we know we want seven players and we're not going to get all seven, like what if we were only going to get three, what, what would be the biggest priorities? And I look at the team right now, specifically how we've performed, just looking at goals for goals against in terms of goals per game, we're fifth in the league, believe it or not. In terms of goals allowed, we're 15th in the league. So that tells me, that tells me that our, Defense needs a lot of work. And it's funny because it's <laughs> it's like we've spent so much time under Conte playing in a defensive setup, but yet we can't stop anybody. So I don't know what that means in terms of his tactics or his man management. But at the end of the day, I do feel like the goalkeeper and the center back are the two positions that I 100% believe under any circumstance have to get this summer we have to get a center back we have to get a goalie that third position i'm a little torn on and i think part of that probably has to do with what happens to kane because us being fifth in the league in goal in goal scoring has a lot to do with the fact that we have a guy that scored that scored 27 goals by himself um so depending on whether or not he's there i think depends a lot on like how much we need like a number 10 or something like that that third position might go to an attacking midfielder, but I could also see, to Ben's point, like us getting a second center back and really just. How do you feel about Kulu playing as an attacking mid? You think I, I see he, he's had a really, season, but I haven't really seen him in that central position anyway. I guess a lot of that just depends on how he's set up, but I think I don't know. He's my understanding of how he plays is pretty much based on what he's done with Spurs. I didn't watch him when he was at Juve. So he's been the most successful for us playing on the right wing. I wouldn't take him away from that position unless I knew that he could play somewhere else as good or better than he played on the right wing last season. So for me, that's not something I would really want to do. I think also Again, depending on what happens with Kane, like Richie might be the new nine. So that means you're going to probably play Sonny on the left and Decky on the right. And so that still means that we need somebody else who can pull the strings in midfield. I don't know if Decky has that. I think he's more like get the ball in the final third and create versus like someone who's going to collect the ball in the midfield and then basically play point guard. Like, I don't know that he has that in his locker. And I don't know that he doesn't. We haven't seen it. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. We haven't seen it, but we haven't, to your point, we haven't really seen him play out of that position on the right wing. He played a little bit of right wing back at times this year, but we haven't really seen him play. But that's because Conte's never packed the midfield, though. And and so far, Mason hasn't either. I mean, our midfield has always looked stretch. Um, I, I also wonder if some of that can be resolved just by playing different formations, by playing three in the mid, uh, and and one of Hoybier, Basuma, and Skip could actually get forward more. I know we've talked about this. <clears throat> we've seen it in little fits and bursts. bursts. Um, again, I would, I would not want to go into a season banking on that, but back to your original premise of your question, being those three, only three upgradable spots, or uh, I like Jimmy, Kimmy's uh, cheat, though. We could just like get Longley back on loan. I would be more open to then signing an attacking mid or getting another center back on loan. But I do think that, I, I think we all agree that the that, that keeper and center back, maybe even two center back positions are going to be 
near the near that top of that list of, of three most important upgradable positions. This is the Coys R Us podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Coys R Us podcast, C-O-Y-S-R-U-S. We'll see what happens with the transfer window. I mean, I don't know. It, it's <laughs> it. I think it is a little bit of a sign of the way that our season's going that we spent the majority of this podcast talking about uh, who we're going to hire as manager and what transfers search. we're going to make because <laughs> we're not looking forward to the last couple matches of the season. I will say, going back to what I was mentioning earlier, um, right now our primary rivals for that's that coveted seventh spot are Brentford and uh, Brentford and Villa. So, looking at Spurs' schedule, we play Brentford this coming weekend. And then we end the season with Leeds, who's right now in the midst of a relegation battle. So they got their own stuff going on. And depending on what happens in week 37, they may or may not be relegated by the time we play them. But looking ahead to the other two teams, uh, Villa has Liverpool this upcoming weekend, followed by Brighton for their final match. And then Brentford play us. And then their final game is home to Man City who at that point might have already won the league. So uh, it's it could play out in our favor. I think, you know, again, we were talking last week about how we really needed to beat Villa to kind of keep position. We didn't do that. And so now I'm kind of saying it again. Like, <laughs> if we want to keep position for seventh now, we, we're going to have to beat Brentford, and, and let's see if we can do that. That's also going to be the last home game for Spurs this season because we finished the game on the road. It'll be very interesting to see how that plays out with that home crowd. They're playing a doubleheader at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with the men playing early in the morning or at least early in the morning for us here in the States. I think it'll probably be 1230 local. And then the women's team has their final match of the season. They're also in the middle of a relegation scrap. So that's going to be a big game. Uh, for them, and I think they're like doing some sort of like double header tickets type type deal. So trying to get people to come out and, and watch the women's game. So if we don't get a result against against Brentford, I imagine it's going to be a very toxic Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday, and they might be setting that women's team up, man, because I don't want a bunch of riled up angry Spurs fans. Watching them get relegated, that's not going to be fun either. So, I don't know. Brentford is like the definition of a mid-table team. Like, they're kind of good, but not really. They've kind of been in that 9th, 10th place for most of this season. Tony and Mbomo score goals, but they don't have, like, a ton of goal scoring. Their defense is okay, but it's not great. Like, this... I don't really know. There's not that much to say about Brentford, but their goal difference is better than ours. That's true. They do have a better goal difference than than we do. Uh, plus nine. We're at plus six. We've scored 11 more goals than them, but we've also conceded 14 more. So that's exactly why we need that goalie in that center back then. Yeah, I know. They, they do punch above their weight, though. I don't know what the finances are, but they haven't been up in the Prem for that long. I feel like they, they seem like a pretty well-managed club. Uh, again, that doesn't, doesn't take away from your point that they're a pretty uh, stock mid-table team, but at least they're, um, yeah, a well-run mid-table team. 
if we play a team like Liverpool or a team like Newcastle, I'm expecting us to lose. This is a game that, like, I literally have no idea what's going to happen. Brentford is a team that we could they could beat us 2-0, we could beat them 2-0, and I wouldn't be surprised by either result. 7.30 in the yeah. morning. Are you guys waking up for that one? It's going to be 6.30 where you are. No, I'm not waking up for that. Oh, I'll, I'll watch it. On, <laughs> I'll watch it on replay later in the game, later in the day. Um, I mean, at least it's at home. I I think if this was a, an away game, I would put it at 50-50 or even like 40-60 Spurs to get a, a win. Or, um, But I think at home, I think I would give us pretty decent chances. But I'm going to go with the – I don't know. We're, are we doing picks already? Am I jumping the gun here? We can. I, I we say, haven't we haven't done them for weeks. I think we've kind of just been avoiding them because the results have been so bad. But uh sure, think, why not? It's the last home game Spurs of the season. Pick. I'm gonna go with the, a cowardly two one Spurs pick. Um there's a chance. Why do we always apologize when we pick two one? <laughs> because we're Spurs fans, I guess, and we know that's a cop out pick that we're just hoping they'll be able to pull it off. No, uh, so I'm not even going to, I'll actually be awake because I'll be working that day, but um, I, yeah, this is, I'm actually going to go 2-2 draw. It seems like a game we draw, so 2-2 draw. We share the points. If, if we share the points, do we still get booing? I think so. It probably depends on how we draw, too. If we're down yes. two, oh, down last minute draw. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. Last minute draw. As but, when we come back, we're going to get some cheers. But, but oh, yeah. that's see, the but... way. If you see, the, we're always going to let the t- them score a goal. Like, this is what, this is like this. Will the way it be we work in now. under eight minutes? We that's let, the question. We let teams <laughs> score early. We might let them get a few, but you know, we're going to try and fight back. We're gonna try and fight back because I can't even front. Like even in the game against Villa, like I felt like when Basuma came on, things just looked better. We looked like we could get more chances after like we made some changes. Basuma so, like, actually looked good. I feel like people are always gonna. He did. I feel like we're gonna fight. So I feel like I like I I don't know. I just feel two two just just seems like a. So you're saying we exactly get down two zero by halftime and maybe even earlier. I mean, it's it's very possible. <laughs> Ivan Tony is he is he hurt? Is he playing? If he's playing, he, he was he did not play this past weekend. He was hurt, but I don't know if he's going to be back. They probably won't announce that before Thursday or Friday. I mean, watching now, the know, game against I know Villa, going to score. What's his name? Umbuemo. Yeah, he's definitely going to score. Like, yeah, I could see that. I mean, watching the he's game. Like a, he's on... like a stocky guy. Like he's gonna, he's gonna destroy somebody. It's happening. Pedro Poro. <laughs> watching the game on Saturday, I was like, you know, I don't know if we're gonna win this game. I don't know if we're gonna lose this game, but I do feel like at some point we're gonna score because we just kind of always find a way to get a goal, even if it is a cheap penalty in the 90th minute. And I'm looking at our fixture list and I'm looking at the last time we got blanked. And it was actually the Champions League game against AC Milan. <laughs> so in every game since then, we've scored at least once. Even that even that trouncing that we had against Newcastle, we scored a goal. So I'm I'm way more concerned about how many goals we give up than whether or not we're able to score one or two. Uh ugh. I'm going to say, I don't know, like 2-1 and 2-2 are some pretty good picks, but (laughs) 
I have, I have no idea how to predict this game. Um, it's mostly because we have no faith in our ability to keep a clean sheet. You know, that's it's really that is ultimately what it is. That's yeah. ultimately what it is. Because I want to say two nil, but it's like there's no way we're going to keep a clean sheet. Uh, we did it against Palace. I still don't really know why, but they just didn't really seem like they showed up for that game. And so the only way we're going to keep a clean sheet is if the other team just doesn't show up on the day, basically. Um, I don't think that's something that you could bank on. So I, I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Uh, a boring morning draw to appease. No Are you going to wake up for this one? Uh, I don't know. I'm definitely not going to the pub. If I do watch, I'll be watching from my bed. But I, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. It depends on how I feel on Friday night. But if anything, I, if, I, if I do get up and watch the game, I'll be watching it from bed and I'll probably pass out as soon as it ends. So I've, it, I've reached a point in the season now where I'm like taking more enjoyment from watching other teams than I am from watching Spurs. I'm like, oh, what's City going to do? Like, I just want them to win so that Arsenal doesn't win. And I mean, this this weekend yeah, I mean, has been amazing for that. Yeah. Well, waking up early to watch Spurs is a recipe for falling back asleep in like half an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because nothing's going to happen to the second half anyway. So I should no. probably just wake up at like 830 and then turn it on at halftime. <laughs> um, I mean, at this point, I feel like it's like we had Champions League, then that went away. And then it was like FA Cup, that went away. Top four, that went away. Europa League, that went away. And now it's like Europa Conference, Conference League, League is there. And it's kind of <laughs> just like, I'm. it's hard to get excited about that. I feel like watching Spurs now, the, the thing I'm more most excited about is whether or not Harry Kane's going to get to 30 goals. He's at 27 right now. and We've got two games left. So that means he's going to need three goals in the last two matches, which is completely possible. And I think, if anything, he's going to be able to score a brace against Leeds because they don't play defense at all. So I, very, I think it's very possible for him to get to 30. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll be hoping for Harry to score again um, when we play on Saturday. But, I mean, win, lose, or draw, like, it's to the point now, like I, I was saying in the chat the other, the other day, even watching the game at the pub, first of all, like, it's way more empty now. <laughs> like a lot of people just aren't showing up to watch this team anymore. And even the people that do show up, it's like they lose the game and nobody's even upset. Like everybody's just kind of just like, huh? Like it's yeah, not the main source apathy. for excitement, especially yeah. over the especially over the past couple of weeks. The main source for excitement is all the the hot young managers being bandied around as potential Spurs targets, and now that's even getting ruined. People right, are exactly. becoming apathetic towards our manager and director of football search. So Levy really knows how to put people to sleep on this shit. Yeah, it, it it's it's a really bad place right now. Like this is um this is probably as, as bad as I could remember it, just in terms of the fans feeling towards the club. It's one thing to be angry, it's another thing to be apathetic. And I think at this point, people are just like hard to even get excited about any of this it's just like you're waiting for the next bad thing to happen instead of hoping for anything good and that's a really bad place for your fan base to be and i think that's something that the board really needs to like try to figure out a way to fix next year a lot of that's going to have to do with who they sign as the director of football and who they sign as the manager so let's see we'll see how it goes 
And hope for the best. Fingers crossed. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.